start with the Prashnabhari Paramita practice and, and then I will explain a bit about the eight Mayana precepts tomorrow. So let's just start by sitting in the quietness of the evening. And maybe now at the end of the day it's a bit easier to let go of the doing, trying to get somewhere. Maybe you are a bit tired, so let that be okay. So just soften into the softness of the evening, <coughs> quietness of the evening. in your body. And the stillness around. <coughs> Give yourself the permission to do nothing. Just relax into the soft glow of a peaceful evening. In the space in front of you manifests the Great Mother, Prajna Paramita. <coughs> in a lotus, golden in color. A manifestation of uh, wisdom and seva. to relax into her presence, into compassionate presence, into tseva. 
her loving eyes, her smile. Knowing at the same time that you connect with the goodness within yourself, within the, with the Great Mother, also residing in the core of your heart. cell of your body opens like a flower then when we recite the mantra you just continue to bathe in her presence Om Gatte Gatte Para Gatte Para Sangatte Yeah.
Prajnaparamita, the golden goddess on the lotus in front of you, blissful, radiant, dissolving into that radiance, into that glow which enters your body at your heart level. Your heart opens like a flower. And you are like Prajnaparamita herself. You are the Great Mother, sitting in a lotus. From the light in your heart, radiating seva through the pores of your body, through your hands, through your feet, through your voice, through your eyes. to be a source of light, to be a source of seva in the mandala of your life. Into your past, into your present, and into your future. Compassionate presence. Our heart reaches out to the people we care about, the ones who are close to us, <coughs> the ones who depend on our seva. Particularly those who are in crisis, who are sick, who struggle. extend this wish for well-being <coughs> to all people.
who has not taken the Mayana precepts before. One, two, three, four. Okay. So I have to say something, I, I make it very short. Uh, yeah. Uh, so as you see, many or uh, took it and they came again <laughs> and they survived. Uh, so it, it seems to be not too difficult or dangerous. So it is a tradition uh, within the Mayana tradition uh, where we take uh, the five basic lay vows for one day, the five Buddhist basic uh, lay vows for one day with the motivation of bodhicitta. So that, that's what makes them Mahayama, Mahayana precepts. Yeah? So it's a common Buddhist practice, but uh, we will... Uh, we will uh, set the intention that we d take this practice for the benefit of all. So the five basic uh, lay vows, they are pretty straightforward. There's nothing particular Buddhist uh, around them. It's common human values and it really works in terms of uh, making a society more stable and more happy when more people uh, make this uh, uh, make this uh, guidelines a, val a value in your life and uh, so taking taking them for one day is kind of setting setting seeds and making our mind interested uh, making our mind reflecting on not harming others and supporting us and making that a value in our life to stop to harm others. And it's it's nice uh, to do it in a group because it's like you know together as a group we we commit ourselves to harmlessness. And this is so it's so beautiful, it's so inspiring. So we want at one point we want to be that person who does not respond with violence even if your family is killed and this is very difficult so to to set the strong intention uh, to make uh, to take non-violence really serious even if your car gets broken in or something like that or, or worse and we need to start somewhere and, and one way to start is to set the intention to contemplate this to be inspired by it so that's how, how we how we uh, uh, make this emerge in our life So obviously, uh, one of the guidelines is to to protect life, to honor life. So that's the most basic one. And in this view now, in the Buddhist view, we also see animals as people. 
people who want to live, uh, people who have plans, uh, and uh, people who suffer and who don't want to suffer. So not to harm and to protect life would also include animals, even the tiny ones, the small ones. Uh, then, um, uh, to honor the property of others. So it's also a common value, so not to steal, but to honor the property of others. So here it, uh, it could be, uh, uh, you know, observing how do you treat the, how do you treat this place? How do you honor that this is not your chair, but it's like just some chair from, you know, it does not belong to you. So you might not treat it in the same respectful and careful way as a chair you have at home. <coughs> yeah. So, but the the actual uh, the actual commitment is is not to steal. I'm just extending it a bit into a, a, a mindfulness practice. Uh, then uh, to speak the truth uh, in daily life that's really difficult that, that thing because we are professional liars and professional exaggerators um, but here since we don't talk <laughs> great, yeah? because we can be inspired by it and we can think about it and to speak the truth and not to lie uh, so and that might uh, that might bring also some more awareness around um, our speech in daily life. Uh, so then, uh, not uh, to use um, our sexual energy in in harmful ways. So. In uh, in in the context of the five of this practice, we uh, refrain from sexual activity completely. Yeah, that does not mean that there's something wrong with expressing errors and using errors on the spiritual path, but in this context, uh, we refrain from sexual activity, which is also not so difficult here. Yeah. Um, and then the fifth is uh, to avoid intoxicants. So no joints, no mushrooms, uh, no alcohol. And again, uh, all these substances, they can be used on the spiritual path. But in this context, we... Uh, we, uh, we, we avoid them. Coffee. Yeah, uh, coffee is uh, is not in that category because I say so. <laughs> <laughs> also, cigarettes uh, don't fall into this uh, into this category, uh, and many lamas would agree with that because they they have to protect the tea. tea. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's uh, this, uh, you know, when you see it in the context of the, in a way, 
it's a bit of uh, uh, honoring also the monks and nuns' way of life uh, to follow these five guidelines or the f- to take the eight Mayana precepts. And in the in this context, you avoid you you avoid intoxicants because under the influence of intoxicants, you might then um, do harmful things. Yeah? So, and I guess we all have been there in that in that uh, place. Um, so that's the five. We take them as commitments uh, for 24 hours. Um, so if you had accidentally uh, tomorrow step on a bug, then you don't you don't you don't break this commitments be- commitment because uh, in order to break one of these commitments you need to have the intention and you need to be aware of what you're doing yeah? so but you would break the commitment when intentionally and with some kind of satisfaction you would ki- kill a mosquito tomorrow yeah so then you would break if you can do like this and you just have killed kill 10 of them because you know these small ones then you don't break the commitment because you didn't get, get uh, you didn't went to hunt them down but it was just a, yeah, it was an accident uh, so this is quite go- quite important to know this because sometimes people get a bit too uh, too tight or too afraid around these vows but also the bodhisattva vows so one need to really know when is it actually when i when i when i've broken that commitment and um, and and there are these factors which need to be present yeah so there need to be some sense of satisfaction some 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 the absence of regret and shame yeah, so it it's need, it needs to be a quite uh, like a strong mind of hunting down a, someone and killing and having a sense well this is a good thing to do and I'm going to do it again so then then you break break the, these vows one can of course also use them in a more um, in a way where we start to reflect on for example what does it mean to honor life when I go shopping, for example? Yeah. So what does it mean? Or what does it mean to honor life in terms of what I eat? Uh, so, but that's uh, that's like a um, that's then a different direction. Also, uh, the intoxicants. So. Uh, with what do I intoxicate my body and mind? You know, where can I, where could I be more more mindful of about what I put into my body and into my mind, including media and information. So these are the five. Then there's two, uh, three, three extra ones. Um, which come from the fact that 
in the old days, uh, the Buddha had uh, uh, many students from the royal class. Yeah, so, and it was particular for those. Because the first one is not to sit on high thrones and sleep on high beds. So, uh, luxuries, luxury beds. So, and the measurement is high like this, so we have to measure tonight. <laughs> I'm actually so, but uh, I'm 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 uh, I'm quite high in my bed. Yeah? But of course, it, it's not a luxury bed. So the point is not to not to uh, in in in. No, part of the eight Mahayana precepts is to kind of simplify your life and to uh, and to let go for the period of your practice of unnecessary destruction and unnecessary indulgence, kind of to simplify your life a bit at the at the time of your practice for for the time of your retreat. Yeah? The other one is not to wear garlands. And um, you know, uh, you know, kind of not to uh, not to dress up, yeah, not to dress up. Um, so if you wear, if you have some jewelry which you wear all the time, you you leave it on, um, but you don't put on the extra uh, uh, Saturday. Uh, <laughs> Saturday, <laughs> Saturday evening, out in the city, uh, <laughs> uh, stuff. Yeah, so you don't do that, which is a nice thing to do in a retreat anyway. Yeah? Mm. So, um, so that's and then the third one is uh, not to sing and dance. Yeah, and uh, here sing and dance. Mm refers to kind of uh, sedu seductive singing and dancing. So if you would do some uh, um, Swedish circle, spiritual circle dance around the stupa, <laughs> that, wouldn't, that wouldn't count. Yeah? Or the mantra singing, obvious, does not count. So it's more like the singing and dancing for entertainment and seduction. So that's what we don't do within this 24 hours. Uh, yeah, so and then there is the, the extra, the extra one, and this is also connected with, um, with the lifestyle of a monk or a nun. Uh, so on, on that day we have only <coughs> one meal, and that, that will be lunch. And we will take the this one meal before noon. Yeah, so that's why we 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 uh, we change the schedule. Um, so that again is is uh, coming out from the tradition of the monks and nuns who have this vow as a lifelong lifelong vow. So they they go out once a day. Uh, before noon, and they back, and then they have the one meal, their one free meal uh, for the day, and, and then that's it. 
And uh, sometimes people are a bit afraid uh, of this, but uh, for, for, for many people it is quite nice to, uh, um, to, uh, to explore you know, how it is to have just one meal, how, how food affects uh, the state of your meditation, it can uh, uh, it can make us more uh, aware of all the neurotic stuff we have around food. Uh, we you know, uh, and uh, for quite a lot of people, it's, it has actually a good effect on one's meditation practice because um, if you don't eat in the evening, your sleep might be a bit lighter, and you will feel more fresh in the morning. So that could be also in the evening session tomorrow might be a bit different than today. You know? So because we all had a good dinner, like most of our energy right now is actually stuck in the digestion. That's why it feels a bit like dull up here, yeah? because you know your body is busy with trying to get something out of the food, you know? which is quite difficult. <laughs> it's a big job. Yeah? So and if then that falls away, uh, mm -hmm. you might you might experience that the uh, that the evening session is more vivid. For some people, it's that's not so. We are all different in our in our uh, in our yeah, in our energy. So for some people, it's a bit more difficult. But it's hardly the case that someone really suffers. And if so, I mean, if you this, you know, there is this kind of person uh, when they don't have food, kind of they start to faint, or you know. So, of course, it's also a lot of psychology, uh, psychology behind that. But so in that case, or you have other medical reasons, uh, you you can uh, you can eat, but uh, you have to uh, ask me. Yeah. Uh, and then we can. Who's you are a bit char in charge of the kitchen, yeah. so you know what is there. Yes. So you can then also talk with with Anne, and then uh, and then uh, and you can figure something out. If you notice, if you want to try it tomorrow, and then you find out, no, this is actually I get a headache and I feel really mm -hmm. bad or something like that. Uh, I'm going to eat uh, at my times yeah, because yes. of medical reasons. So mm. you know why I'm. Yes. Me too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Oh. yeah. And Gunilla also. Okay. She will eat. Uh, I think she will also eat something in the morning. Yeah? Okay. Ah, so yeah, right. Uh, what is it? There's there's black food. So what you uh, what you avoid on this day is. Uh, meat, it's called black food, and it's supposed to. Uh, in the meditative tradition, they say this food they have some influence on the on the subtle energy body, uh, kind of a disturbing influence. So, in, in the, and since you want to dedicate this time for meditation, you avoid this food. So that's meat, that's eggs, that's garlic, onions. And uh, reddish. reddish, yeah. 
So that's the. Uh, so that's yeah. So you can drink. Uh, whatever you want and how, how much you want, uh, and you can also put some sugar into the uh, into the tea wash some honey. Honey is debatable, but uh, since I'm the boss here, <laughs> in that regard, so and I, uh, there's different opinions about that. But but so you can put some honey into the tea. But don't put tea into the honey. <laughs> yeah, so some some tea and some honey into the tea, but not tea into the honey. Um, so that could be uh, uh, one way, you know, for those people who have this thing going on. If yeah, I, I don't have enough sugar or something like that, what some people say, that could be one way. To, you just have a cup of tea with some honey in it. And milk? Uh, milk. Uh, what is with milk? Um, but we don't have milk. Ah, so we good. Don't, we don't. <laughs> we don't. Soya. Uh, soya? soya? Yeah, yeah, that's no problem. problem. No problem. No, no. Okay. With milk, it's also, you know, with milk and honey, you have this bit of this, sometimes this debate of that it is stealing. Yeah, because you steal it from the bees, and you steal the the, the milk from the from the calf. Yeah. Uh, so, any questions? Did I forget something? Breakfast? Yeah. No. No breakfast. No breakfast. No. Okay. Mm, one meal. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> one meal. Uh, it's a late breakfast. <laughs> it's a it's a late breakfast and a very early dinner. <laughs> uh, breakfast is actually, I mean, we, the, the the lunch is at eleven thirty, so. Like um, that's usually not a problem. It's more that some people get a bit hungry in the evening, and you know. So once every ten years, you get hungry in the evening. That's <laughs> uh, quite. Uh, I mean, we're in a quite good place. So nobody will starve. You don't need to take extra vitamins or something like this to, to cover up for it. <laughs> no, we all have, uh, we all have the, the resources. I mean, we, we can actually, without any harm, not eat for six weeks. Yeah. It's no problem. I have done that. And our, our body is is uh, is made for that kind of uh, periods of eating, uh, not eating, or eating, eating irregularly. By the way, there's research that this kind of short-term fasting is very, very good for your health. <laughs> yeah? So there is actually these people who do, who do that now. Not kind of, the kind of fasting where you don't fast, for, uh, where you fast for a week, but you know this kind of okay, dropping some meals, dropping dinner sometimes, dropping breakfast mm -hmm. sometimes, 
it, it seems to be very uh, uh, good for our uh, uh, for our uh, for our system. It's also uh, you know this is where we come from. We we didn't used to have like this kind of uh, you know, oh God I don't have lunch I don't have lunch. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 good. Um, it's really helpful to get bit relaxed about it. I mean, if I don't eat a day, I don't, you know, I don't mind. It's not, uh, it's not a, it's not a reason for me to, uh, to, uh, to panic. Yeah, you are hungry, and so what? So let's see. I mean, uh, that's what we do, and uh, I guess we will, if we do the retreat next year again, we will do it again. Uh, so just be open and see what it does, and maybe you might be interested even <laughs> to uh, sometimes do it for yourself. Yeah? So in the morning, if you do a little weekend retreat to kind of um, really kind of condense, or no, no kind of focus on the practice and allow the retreat to be more than walking from one meal to the next and waiting for the next meal. Yeah. Uh, then this kind of practice is, is uh, this practice you can do throughout the weekend retreat you do at home. So you, you do this two days, you take the precepts in the morning, you have one meal, and then in the evening you can rejoice uh, that you have uh, practice uh, that you have joined this tradition of harmlessness of non-violence I can really recommend it I used to do it mm. I started with the full moon days yeah. uh, now and then just one day then I can longer, longer also There is something in, um, and you you can just uh, you know check if this is um, will be the case in the next three days when we do this practice. There is something in uh, doing this kind of uh, rituals which put a frame mm -hmm. into into the day. It, it's like it creates a a, a, a specific container. Uh, also because we all do it together and, and sometimes uh, sometimes people can feel that and then and then when we stop to take the precepts on, on Friday you might feel oh something is different something is missing as if you know something like the energy is more it goes starts to go out again yeah so we enter a bit of a more tight more focused 
more uh, more present container and then and it's it's being protected by by the practice of nonviolence there's some, some bit of a magic thing uh, in it um, So, part of, uh, as part of this uh, little ritual, we, we will read the text together. Uh, so, those who will eat, you don't, you know. So, you 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 do the same, but you you kind of you when you say, I think there is even one line uh, which says not to take food at proper times or something like that. So, so I mean, you know already that you will eat. So. It's, it's fine. So you, you take it. You take this, uh, this uh, the same commitment without this extra practice. Uh, so as part of the uh, this ritual, there's uh, two things. There's uh, uh, taking refuge. So we will t- say a refuge prayer. And of course, if if you if that doesn't resonate with you or also also the other prayer we will say while we're taking the precepts so then don't say it you know you can just sit quietly and you can just observe and so you don't need to feel that you're obliged to say a prayer which you can't connect with Um, that's very important that you don't um, that you don't uh, put a kind of pressure onto yourself, <coughs> a kind of violence uh, by thinking, oh, I have, you know, now I'm doing something and I don't like to do it and I'm, I, I'm suspicious or I don't understand it or so then, and then you just, then you are there just here. Uh, and the refuge prayer is a bit particular because it's, um, it's connected with uh, the guru, so it says in the in the prayer, the guru. Yes. And this is quite dangerous word uh, to use uh, sometimes, yeah, uh, because you know we have all kinds of ideas. So if you don't have uh, like a kind of personal mentor, personal teacher, of uh, who could. Uh, who could represent that? Yeah, I mean, you can always think about the Buddha or the Dalai Lama or Jesus. But w- what actually the word guru really refers to is um, is the the one who knows. It, it's referring to the Dhammadhatu. It's referring to Rigpa. It's referring to the. Uh, uh, to the nature of your mind. It's referring to pure, unconditioned awareness. That's what the guru is. And then, in the Tibetan tradition, you have the possibility to empower someone, like a living person, to be a kind of door to uh, connect with that inner guru uh, through that person. But what you what you bow to and what you worship in the guru is the inner guru the the outer guru is is a is a symbol of your own inner guru 
So you can think about like that when you say I take refuge to the guru. What you take refuge into is um, your essence, your, the, your spiritual essence, or however you call it, that which is bigger than you. Or I mean, you might have your own uh, your, your your goodness, your tseva, your so whatever. So then I think we can all say. Yeah, I take refuge into that. I take refuge into my goodness, into my seva, into my love, into my my potential to grow and to be free and um, to stop to harm others. That's what I take refuge into. Yes, I take refuge into the Guru. Yeah. Uh, so, I think that's about it. And then there is some dedication. So the idea and dedication is uh, to share the positive energy. Uh, we can make a leap of faith uh, and um, rejoice in in the teachings of the tradition. Lama Sopa emphasizes a lot that uh, in these days, moment by moment, because we have uh, uh, put a strong intention of <coughs> non-violence into the day, we create a positive energy, no matter what we're doing, no matter how well we're meditating or uh, what you know, sleeping, eating, uh, going to toilet. I mean, you can't escape uh, the, the fact tomorrow that moment by moment you create uh, a positive energy and you create seeds in your mind stream uh, to act in, in, in non-violent ways in the future. So why, how this works, why that is, it's because Lama Sopa says so. <laughs> it's not debatable. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, those of you who have taken it before, did I forget something? I think it's mentioned here. Is it also Alakitishvara? Uh, in the, the text? in the text, yeah. yes. Uh, it's so, about uh, your. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so the is the of compassion. So that's uh, um, th so this practice is connected with uh, the Buddha of compassion. So uh, he's mentioned in the text. And in the text there will be other things uh, which you might not understand or which is kind of strange, like the big great elephant and stuff like that. It's just, you know, I mean, just, <laughs> 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 just read over it. I mean, you don't need to understand everything. It's like, and then maybe slowly, slowly you can ask someone. I, I don't know. Maybe I can answer some of the <coughs> questions. I think many of the things I forgot. I forgot. But of course, there's symbolic meaning in in all these uh, sentences. So, what what doesn't make sense, you kind of you take it lightly. You know, it's just okay. Right now, I don't know what I'm saying here, but you know, so what. And. Uh, 
and then you can find out later or not. Yes. And the prostrations. And we don't do the prostrations. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's too it's too narrow here. So yeah. that's a leftover from five years ago mm-hmm. in the schedule. Mm-hmm. So we can take that out. Uh, we uh, we will uh, at one point uh, make three prostrations just before we do the uh, we take the precepts. So kind of we we will invite Shenrezik the Buddha of Compassion, and then we will take these precepts in in the presence of the Buddha of Compassion. So we will make two prostrations. If you don't know how to do them, and then you just do like this, or you, you know, you don't do anything. So it's not like, uh, it's not a big deal uh, if you don't do it, or how you do it. Or so you can just bow like this. And if you know how to do the, the short prostration, then like I do, then you can do that if you want but nobody is checking or you know, nobody I'm not observing if you do the prostrations and how you do it or, or it's, it's up to you it doesn't matter so it will take about an hour, the whole thing, because we will start <coughs> with the meditation and then, so we will do it slowly. Uh, if you do it on your own, it, it can be done in, uh, it can be actually done in, in five seconds. I have the intention to take the eight Mayana precepts. <laughs> That's it. The rest is just, you know, ornaments and uh, Making it, uh, making it more inspiring, and um, but you take the priest, the eight Mahayana precepts through intention, through the intention to take the Mahayana precepts, not by reading the words and reading them right and doing the right thing. Uh, the way you take the eight Mahayana precepts is to have the intention to take the eight Mahayana precepts, and that's it. I take the eight Mahayana precepts. Short form for the busy manager. (laughs) (laughs) So they all you you, uh, uh, we actually suppose we are supposed to take the minor precepts before sunrise. So we had to make a bit of an adjustment there, (laughs) 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 being in the north of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's you know this kind of rituals they always have the the option of some adjustment yeah but just and then you take the precepts from 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 that moment until sunrise next morning yeah so that's and then and then they and then they they leave uh, then they leave and they dissolve. Then we can dance in fancy clothes. <laughs> yes, then you can. Okay. Four o'clock. You, can <laughs> <laughs> you get out, you dress up, <laughs> you open your cards back, <laughs> and then, yeah! <laughs> you can join the party at four o'clock. But the precepts tomorrow is uh, six o'clock. Yes, yes, at six o'clock. So, 
the bell is at 5.30 then? 5.30, yeah. yes. Yeah. So at 6 o'clock and there will be some meditation and uh, then the motivation and then we will take the, read this prayer which does not take long and after we will sit quietly. And then we have one hour break and that's the famous breakfast break without breakfast. <laughs> It's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, so any other questions about this? Okay. What's the time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow you can bathe. To be in the sauna. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm, Good. yes. Just don't drink, uh, smoke pot, and uh, dance. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but is, you are very welcome to be in the sauna. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's see how how, how it uh, how, what this does with uh, with our retreat here. So some of you might notice a difference, some of you don't. And let's see what happens. Okay. So and tomorrow and for three days. For three days. As well. Yeah, silence. Uh, silence. So we will take uh, the next three days in the morning. We will take the precepts. Mm. We could actually also take it tomorrow for three days. So that's also a possibility. But uh, if you do it for just short time like this, it's good to kind of repeat it in the morning, like as a reminder also, and to get also familiar with the uh, uh, with the ritual. Uh, it's um, oh, with all these rituals in the Tibetan tradition, what is important uh, is that for the Tibetans, it's always important that they are aware that they are in an in unbroken lineage of doing this practice, going back to the Buddha. Yeah, so this is like uh, so. I I have received this practice from His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And also very often from from Lama Sopa Rinpoche, yeah? so uh, and uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is seen as an embodiment of the Buddha of compassion. So, uh, <coughs> so to receive this practice from him is really like, you know, being part of uh, be, becoming part of that stream of this practice which has been handed down from the time of the Buddha in an unbroken. Uh, from generation to generation an unbroken stream until it ended up here in Sweden yeah, in the forest <laughs> and uh, so this is also um, it can be um, it can be a, a kind of source of joy or inspiration or a, a source of uh, confidence into this practice that you uh, that you join uh, this lineage uh, of the practice, which 
if we if we could we could actually really trace back from person to person from his holiness to to his teacher to his teacher to his teacher through the generations and many of the tibetans they actually can do that they know all these names no they have this they are called lineage prayers where they say okay i pay homage to this one 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 and then through the centuries from one person to the next until they through india the line goes then through india and then you know you end up uh, with the buddha so in in this uh, this practice the admayana precepts is is part of the is one of these streams of practices uh, what is also inspiring might be that Uh, when we take the precepts to be aware that we are not the only one tomorrow we, who will take these precepts, who will take these vows. I mean, there will be thousands and thousands others who will particularly do this kind of ritual we will do tomorrow. But also the, because this, uh, these precepts, they are common human values. They are valued in all religions, in all, in all cultures. So it will be also you know the christians and the hindus and and other uh, religions they have their uh, their similar rituals like that you know uh, aligning themselves with what is important to them Ali- aligning <coughs> aligning themselves with the goodness in in them and uh, so in this kind of rituals you are never alone you can always reach out uh, to your brothers and sisters and feel wow mm. it's It's all, every uh, every day, every day, there's people who pray for us and who do this practice for us and who dedicate the positive energy of these rituals to us. So there's a there's a kind of a field uh, a field of uh, of prayer and um, of practice which you can join at any time of the day. It's happening 24 hours. That, that, that can be inspiring. Okay. I think uh, that's it. Um, I wanted to um, read a story, but... Uh, Uh, so it's maybe enough, uh, but I I want to talk a bit about this teacher. So I wanted to read some. Maybe I do it tomorrow. Um, and this is a this is a talk by uh, by a teacher called Vibhu Rinpoche, where he talks a bit about his life. And Vibhu Rinpoche is uh, he passed away about eight years ago. And he was one of these last old lamas who were trained in in Tibet uh, and who uh, finished their training before they uh, escaped from Tibet. And um, uh, he is actually the first uh, lama I've, I, well, one of the first lamas I've met 
uh, in the he he was living in the monastery of His Holiness in Dharamsala, and I did a three months Vajrasattva retreat, and in the in this is twenty twenty two years ago, and then um, and then uh, the the leader of the retreat had organized this meeting with Rebo Rinpoche. So we went down from this hill where we where the retreat center is to Shita, to Shita Retreat Center. We went down uh, through Mekloi Kanj uh, to the uh, to the monastery of His Holiness the Dalai Lama where, where Rebo Rinpoche was living. And he was about 80 then. Yeah? And uh, he lived in this uh, in this tiny room and completely simple, just a bed <laughs> and uh, and a shelf with some texts, uh, and that's it. And I didn't know anything about him. Uh, I didn't know his story and how, that he was that he uh, has been a very important teacher and um, uh, and uh, that he was actually, you know, he. Uh, one of the most uh, one of the most important lamas of the last century was Pabonka Rinpoche, and uh, he is actually a student of Pabonka Rinpoche. And this is like, you know, when you when you read in the when you when you meet people like that, it's a bit like a fairy tale, you know, because you have read about Pabonka Rinpoche and you studied Pabonka Rinpoche, and he seems to be this kind of uh, I don't know, mythical person in the past, yeah? And then suddenly you, you meet someone who, who, who can tell a story about Pabonka Rinpoche and how it was to meet him and what they talked about. And it's like, uh, it's like you know, it's like as if, you know, as if you would talk with someone who had shared his bread with Jesus, you know? And you could ask him, how was it? You know, how did he look like? And so, and, and you would you would hear this story. So this is a bit uh, um, how it is with Reber and Pachi. But for me, this and I didn't know anything of this. And uh, so we were like five or six people, and we squeezed into this room, and there he was, this monk. And uh, you know, after the retreat, you could. Um, you could Google it because there's some pictures who are who really capture that his his you know his wow his the light from his eyes yeah so but he was just sitting there and it was really a seva force field it was like ah oh, wow and in that uh, in that um, in that. Uh, I mean, so content, so so peaceful, and so loving, and like uh, amazing, and so simple. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing puffed up there. Or, you know, just very simple, very very pure. Yeah, and uh, and in, at that time. I was, uh, you know, this was in the beginning when I started to practice in the Tibetan tradition. I, I really struggled with this kind of, this whole Lama thing, Guru thing, and so it was really like, kind of, you know, this is crazy, 
you know, what, what I, I mean, there is something in the Tibetan tradition, but this Lama thing, I mean, that's uh, stupid, you know, like, but, uh, but then, uh, you know, when, when I entered this room of Ribor Rinpoche, and we sat down, and there he was, super grandpa, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, uh, and you could kind of, uh, you could really feel uh, the love. You know, I had a feeling of, it was really like, I could kind of feel how it could happen. I had the feeling to take out, out my heart, you know, and put it into his loving hands mm. and say, yeah, look after this. You can do it better than me. <laughs> it was the feeling I had. Like completely, well, there is someone who only wants your best. And like unconditioned, uh, without, any, uh, without, any, without any strings attached. And not only that, but also someone who, uh, who has the wisdom to give you the right thing. I mean, one thing is the, the intention to help, yeah, but then to meet someone where you feel, well, this, this guy can help you. This guy can, this guy can show you the path, you know, something like that. It, it was quite uh, impressive. And, um, I mean, it was, it's a, like a kind of experience which stayed with me. And I can still remember it. Yeah. I can still remember the uh, the the seva, the, his presence. Yeah. Yeah. I've met it in, in some a few other masters also, but uh, maybe because it was the first time, I I I, I, I it, it's it stayed so strong with me. Um, so. What is uh, very special with uh, uh, with Ribo Rinpoche, which I didn't didn't know then, uh, is that he was confined in uh, Chinese concentration camps for uh, it says here for thirty five no from fifty nine until seventy six yeah so he he managed to get out seventy six. And uh, during those years, he experienced relentless interrogation and torture. So there's a quote of him. The things they used to do to us are something you would never witness in your life. If I told you what happened on a daily basis, you would find it hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think we we kind of can connect with what what that could be. Uh, no, when you when you when you li when you listen, and when you read uh, the some these Tibetan lamas talking about their experience, you need to do the opposite with what you do with the Americans. So when an American tells you an experience, you water it down. You bring it down to earth. When a Tibetan tells you an experience, you try to read between the lines what's behind that, you know, because they do the opposite. 
Yeah. They, I mean, you would never hear a Tibetan tell you a dream like Glenn Mullion did yesterday night. You would never hear that. They would never share something like that. They, you know, they they might say, yeah, yeah, I have some, you know, I have some dreams. <laughs> so, yeah, so. yeah, but they are not important, you know. It's it's just like dreams. Yeah, so that that that's what 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 they would say. But but particularly when uh, when they uh, when they are from the Gluck tradition, then then they have the the strong the strong um, importance of uh, modesty and humility and not sharing their insights and their experiences, which is debatable if it's a good thing. I mean, we can understand the value of it, but it could be good if some of them would come out, I think. So... And then he continues, Also this experience were very painful. He told students at Tushita Meditation Center in Dharamsala in 1991. Uh, so, although this experience were very painful, they were also very beneficial because I was using up all my negative karma from previous lives. <laughs> you know, and he really means it. <coughs> No. So, so then I prayed that the suffering be as ten as intense as possible. I prayed that the suffering be be as, as intense as possible. As a result, my experience in confinement were transformed into nothing but pure joy. <laughs> And you know, if you, you know if you would have met him, and you know you would sit there and you he would say that you would completely believe it because you 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 you, you would feel that uh, you have a bliss bomb in front of you, and that this is not exaggerated or it's not like some superstitious superstitious belief or some reframing after the experience, this is really ex his experience. My experience and confinement were transformed in nothing but pure joy. Uh, there is, uh, um, in, in another interview, he was asked uh, by the interviewer, uh, so all this difficult experience, this horrible experience you have had with the Chinese, uh, didn't, were, were you ever afraid? Uh, and his answer was, yeah, there were a few occasions I was afraid I could lose the seva towards the Chinese. That was his answer. I was afraid I could lose the savor towards the Chinese. Because that's, that's the most precious thing. Seva is the most precious thing. If you lose seva towards a person, you lost something very precious. 
something very important. And he was afraid to lose that. So that's Reba Rinpoche. Okay. So we have Lama Yeshe here, we have Reba Rinpoche here. So now I think I need to, to, to balance this out. Tomorrow night I need to invite a woman. So, so there is not just uh, the guys sitting on the throne. So I will... Uh, I will Can you translate his name? Ribor. R... 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 Uh, I? Mm. Nee, you don't say I in English, I think. E. Yeah. I. I? Yeah. I. E is I. Yeah. I B U R. Ribor. Okay, thank you very much thank you. for thank you. sitting here, <laughs> for the benefit of all, for world peace. And uh, I see you tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Yes. Yeah, 6 o'clock. Okay.